honored. He actually gave you a warning, by the way. Normally, we don't get that. <laughs> well, I, I like Matt, though. That's true. Normally, when he and, starts talking crazier, and then he kind of gets quiet when he looks no, no. down. Like Matt Matt has no problem <laughs> talking crazy. <laughs> Matt, oh. Matt, has, no, no. Matt does not give a shit what anybody thinks. He'll just say what he thinks. So we're that's one, why. We're one, one drink away from me ruining my company. It's no big deal. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Practical Shooting After Dark. We're here to talk about shooting. Everybody knows the deal. Everyone comes on with a topic, something to talk about. At the end, I'll read an email question, and I have a spicy one for you guys today. It's not, Joel won't want to talk. Perfect. Matt and I will probably do most of the talking about that one, but that's okay. A little little, little bit of spice, nothing wrong with that. On deck today, Mr. Kim. Hello. Mr. Park. Hello. Mr. Pranka. Say hello. Hello. All right. Uh, well, who would like to go first? I'm kind of feeling like it's Joel's turn to lead off. She never wants to. All right. So what'd you do this week, Joel? Aside from uh, fix my rifles, write a book for me. What'd you do? We had a good time. Uh, well, I was thinking about, you know, like, I was just kind of thinking about classes I've done and basically getting paid money to tell people their best isn't good enough. Um, <laughs> and so one thing I see a lot in classes that's I, kind of noteworthy that people don't seem to pick up on is their holster setup. Um, and it's incorrect. It's you know, like assembling the holster and having it attached, whatever, that's fine. But I think people miss the boat on setting up their holster properly for the right, you know, can't drop that kind of stuff where it actually fits them. So I really like using the Boss holster hanger system because um, it's got, you know, holes and slots. It gives you the ability to cant the gun so the muzzle will be pointed more forward or backwards, height, that kind of stuff. Um, but I kind of want to talk about the way I adjust the cant on the holster for me. And hopefully that'd be applicable to some people who look at their gear and be like, okay, this doesn't work. So uh, the way I adjust the cant on my holster is I have my hands just relaxed naturally at my sides, um, just like a starting position in a stage. I then bring my hand up to the gun at a slow or a medium pace. I'm not snapping it super hard. And when my thumb uh, slides over the grip or like on the beaver tail, I want to have my hand naturally rest on the gun without the need to like cant my wrist forward or backwards or make it kind of difficult to get to the gun. So I think the part people miss is that you should move the holster to the angle you know, of your hand where it feels naturally. You don't just move your hands to accommodate wherever the holster was from the factory when they tightened it down or wherever your boss just ends up at. So um, I think most people normally end up with the muzzle pointed slightly in front of them to give you an idea. So it's kind of, it's kind of tipped back a little bit. Um, it sounds minor, but having a consistent draw sets you up for success I, I'm big time. So if you have to bend your arm or you have to move your wrist forward to kind of like shove the like the web of your hand into the beaver tail, uh, I think that's a big problem. So um, normally it seems like holsters are kind of like maybe straight perfectly up and down. And I think if that's the case, you should, you know, and dry train, take your time and maybe. So, so Joel, what you're saying is if you're if you're drawing your gun, do doing fast drop practice and you have some problem, like you're always running your hand into the beaver tail or you're always grabbing the gun too low or whatever, mm -hmm. that's where you start looking at holster setup. Like quit fighting that gear and yes. get the gear to work for you. Very good way to summarize it. Yes. Yeah. 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 Okay. No, Mr. I, Kim. I completely agree. Yes. Oh, I'm no, sorry. We won't move on. Go ahead. Matt's going to talk. No. Go, Matt. No, man, I completely agree with that. And I think, I think a lot of times it's often overlooked because, People come up and, and write the huge thing with like, 
all of the different variations in competition gear. And I think a lot of people will be unwilling to set it up in a way that makes sense to them and what's comfortable to them because it might not look like what they've seen before. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. And, and really like if you're comfortable with it, yeah, I get it. You could, you could probably go with the stock boss setup and you could drill that enough and ingrain that muscle memory and you will end up having a good draw with that. But your solution could be much, much faster if you understand that there's virtually unlimited adjustment in your, in modern equipment and just make it fit you. It doesn't have to be crazy or whatever, especially guys that shoot multi-divisional stuff. Like you don't want to have your limited rig be so much different than your production rig. And I, I noticed that too, when Ben started shooting a lot of, uh, you know, limited stuff, like you were shooting pretty much the same setup and it wasn't a like inhibitor to performance at all. I don't think. No, it's, I mean, and that was by design. It's like, I'm, I was still using a Kydex pouch style holster. The gun's frame was the same. And the big thing with a limited gun is manipulating the safety when you draw the gun. But the way I shoot my production guns is thumb on top of safety, actively disengaging it whenever the gun's in my hand. Whenever the, that comes into my control, the safety just comes off and I'm always actively disengaging it. So the same way I'd use a limited gun. Yeah. 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 I mean, maybe it's a little bit of an exaggeration, but everybody's kind of type A personalities. If I gave you guys my Glock 34 that has the mag release button reversed, so it's for me, I hit it with my thumb. It's on the right side, I suppose. Like, if I told you guys you couldn't switch it, you would be successful with that. You might not like it. It wouldn't be optimal. You'd be successful with that. But it's like, instead of just muscling through that, it's like, hey, let's just reverse the button and let's get it where it's right for you for very minimal. But I think sometimes type A guys are just like, nope, that's the way it is. I'll just make it work. I'll power through it. And you just... You don't have to. That just makes your life so much easier, especially with how essential the grip is. Yeah, yeah. I think it it doesn't make sense to do that. And guys that that are like polarized in their way of thinking that, hey, this can't change, or this is the way it is, or this is what look like. A lot of people kind of from my world get concerned about how it looks. I could totally see that. Well, and that's important, right, Matt? No, man. It trust me. <laughs> Are you telling me you don't want to look cool while you're operating <laughs> operationally? No, I know a lot of, a lot of guys that are married too will understand what form over function means when you start dealing with houses <laughs> and shit. But uh, when it comes to you know practical shooting, you're you're dealing with like, hey, we're we're fighting for hundredths of a second, like function over form at all costs. I don't care what it looks like. Yeah, so that's kind of like when you see that someone has a picture, you know, then they, they get a camera downrange, and pretty much everybody makes a really stupid face when they're shooting. <laughs> you kind of look at that photo, and you're like, I don't even care right now. I'm going so fast. Yep. Yeah. Shut up. Yeah. Everybody yeah, looks if angry. You're yeah. If you're concerned about what my face looks like when I'm shooting, you're looking at the wrong thing. Because <laughs> I, I, I think I am a very big face maker when I shoot. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can I can verify that. That's factual. All right, I think we're ready to move on. Yes. All right, boys. Covered. Oh, but I. Oh, you want to go, Mr. Cameron? Do you want me to go? I'll put it on you. The professor okay. is ready. Let him talk. Yes, Professor's I'm ready. ready. Professor ready. Kim, have at it. Okay, let's go. Uh, so I I have yearly goals in 2021. Just started. So I just wanted to share my yearly goal. 
So just introducing yearly goals before. So the first year was just solely about making master class. So gun handling stuff was heavy. Second year was visualization and execution. So I was developing the walkthrough skills. And then it became technique for the next three years. So I did uh, fundamentals, shooting fundamentals one entire year, target transition the entire year, and movement related entire year. Now it's the next year. So this year I'm going to be working non-technique stuff. It's actually strategy. <clears throat> so it's going to be a very fun year for me. Uh, so I really think I developed a lot of the techniques, so I don't have to worry about it too much. And I think uh, I know how to do like human 100% speed or human 100% uh, shooting speed kind of thing. So I already developed that. And I think this year is just to strategize and uh, basically learn how to use them in a different situations where I have to shoot safe, where I have to push a little bit, maybe a little bit in another place where I really got to push. So I'm this kind of started developing uh, from last year nationals because that was the first year uh, at, at day one, I was leading nationals and that was first happening in my life. And then I wasn't really strategizing very correctly. I can, when I was you know, hold, but before you keep going, I think mm -hmm. you should tell people like, well, yeah. there's one other person on this pod, like emotionally and feel like, like what it means to be leading nationals. Like it's weird, right? It's Very difficult weird. to describe if somebody hasn't kind of been there. Yes, it's it's both both excitement and nerve wracking. If I to me it was. <laughs> yeah, it takes like five years off your life, probably. Yes, people say that. <laughs> not to not to interrupt you. Can you talk about the pressure? Once yes. you you know you realize that you're leading at mm -hmm. that level. Like, yes. what's that pressure look like to you? So for me, in terms of pressure, uh, it was more of a like jittery excitement uh, to me personally at the day uh, of shooting. So day one was over. I, I <clears> saw <throat> my score. I was leading the, the entire day uh, was like excitement. And the day of the, so the next day when I started to shoot, there's a whole lot different pressure. So. When I had to shoot the next day with the lead in the beginning, uh, that was just, in a way, I was starting to do something that I usually don't do at matches because it was my first experience. For Basically, what, what I was doing is I was changing my strategy rather than just sticking to my routine. So I was, in the beginning, I was going too safe where I could guarantee 90% alpha while shooting on the move on certain target, for example, I didn't shoot on the move. Uh, and then when the, the second competitor caught up, now that's the place where I should also still stick with my current strategy that I developed over time. But I was trying to push in a way that I shouldn't have pushed. So the strategy, I think, was what's really uh, making me lose that lead because of the decision making. And I was deciding uh, not based on my experience, but based on uh, assumption in a way. So I wanted to develop a certain uh, categories in my shooting. So one thing is I'm going to be using the percentage of alpha counts mostly. So I'm going to be developing uh, basically different confirmation which what kind of confirmation produces 100% alpha count? What kind of confirmation gives me 90, 80? 
And then given the points gap in between the first shooter and the second shooter, whether I'm the first or second, uh, I'm going to set what kind of points I'm going to be pushing around 90% off account, maybe 100% or 80%. I'm going to be categorizing mathematically rather than by subjective feel. Because when I was leading or now losing it day one, I wasn't really shooting based on mathematical strategy, but more of a subjective feel. Oh, I should be doing this, probably kind of assumption, if that makes and, sense. And you would say that your feelings lie to you. Very, <laughs> extremely. This is this is something that I believed in the beginning of shooting, uh, but a lot of people also believe, which is you don't have to push to win a lot of the cases. Really, you just stay safe, shoot your own you know, strategy, comfort. Usually, you will end up winning. Yeah. And a lot of people so I, think they have to push. I'm real curious to, to understand when you talk about like the mathematical side of it. And when you're, when you're going to shoot, right, and yes. you're talking about a level of confirmation right now, obviously, like I would assume that you're not cycling through hey this is this is 80 percent confirmation this is 90 percent confirmation the game what i would assume it's too fast for that but what does that look like to you because it seems like you're you're pushing you know what your push pace is you know all of these different levels that you can shoot at yes. so when when you are in control and you're really pushing to up out of control, which I would still call kind of your control realm. Like what percentage does that look like to you? And then also, if you can articulate, like from a carry optic standpoint, what does that dot look like to you based off of a varying degree of target difficulty and distance? Yes. So uh, I really like this term, Ben always uses proactive shooting and reactive shooting. That is going to be definitely one of the biggest difference between when I have to shoot certain percentage like 80% or let's just say when I have to push a little bit or, or when I have to stay at my close to 100% level, then I'm going to be shooting proactive shooting. For example, your drill MXAD is a very good example. So when I am shooting uh, the further back target, I could definitely shoot off the uh, side coming back down, stabilizing, and shoot the second shot. But also, if your recoil management skill is pretty good, you could just pull the trigger twice and still have the two shots in the good A zone. So that kind of confirmation is what I was referring to. Of course, we gain a little bit more control and maybe perhaps call the shot better when we are visually letting guiding things, so shooting reactively versus proactively. And also the percentage of where I have to do that, where shooting proactive versus reactive, really determines on the match standing, uh, where I am, I am positioned in the ranking. So, so I'm actually you... gonna come up with like the points value, like plus minus 20 points versus kind of thing. Or I'm, I'm behind or leading by 40 points, something like that is gonna be a good so, example. So Mr. Kim, if I could mm -hmm. give like a concrete example, Yes. Um, let's say that there's a very high risk shot, mm -hmm. like a uh, head box only 20 yards away, pretty yes. high risk. You might like from a strategy point of view, there's different ways to approach that target. Like you might 
say like, I'm going to shoot three shots that I think are good at it. Mm-hmm. And maybe the splits shooting carry optics, what do you reckon? Be 0. 0.5, 0. 0.6 seconds splits, you'd say? You know, very far distance. Yeah. yeah. So what you're doing there mathematically, you're at, you're going to say, I'll eat that half a second in order to have a safety shot on that, on that target. Versus, I mean, that might be you do that from a position of strength. If you're leading the match, you'd be like, yeah, I don't need that half second. The other guys can have it. Versus if you're trying to make a gain, you could, uh, I'm not saying this would be a good idea, but you could come up on that head box and shoot confirmation two and only shoot two shots and you'll be real quick. But uh, obviously you are, you are throwing the dice there. And maybe you do that in, in the scenario where, it's the last stage of the match, and that's the only way for you to win. You might try it. Yes, very good example. And, but I'm, I'm going to be more specific than that. Like, more I'm gonna, specific than that? Yes, actually, I'm going to like come up with the areas that I can... I felt that was very specific. Very specific. I feel like... But well, you're wrong. I'm going to be coming up with each skill categories, and then at certain point, point value. So, for example, if I am behind by only 20 points and I'm only day one or day two, then I have more stages to shoot. In this kind of case, the partial target shooting fast splits, those are going to be in the uh, no-go zone. And there's go zones only on certain characteristics. For example, uh, maybe fast splits, proactive shooting on an open target only. Uh, For example, if I am leading by 20 points or 40 points, no more shooting on the move. Unless I can shoot 100% alpha count. No shooting on the move, poppers, no poppers, no partial target, no movement, kind of thing. So it's going to be categorized, assessed by the risk of the shots rather than the difficulty of the shots. Because if it's 25-yard open target versus 10-yard partial target, the risk is actually higher on the 10-yard partial target if it's a, a little bit tight partial. But the difficulty side, 10-yard partial target can be actually less difficult, but higher risk. So those are going to be also uh, in, in the factor. Okay. So let me ask you this. When you're, mm-hmm. If you feel like you're, you're giving time back to the field based off of those harder targets, like Ben said, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take three, three shots at that mm-hmm. 20-yard target at 0.6 splits, right? So we're yeah. going to give 0.6 seconds back to the field. Are you actively thinking about trying to steal that time back in movement? That really depends on the stage. Uh, stage like if there's like a shooting on the move chance, if it's a big field course where I can gain points or time from other areas where I feel more comfortable, that's a different story than if we are shooting like a classifier style stage where the high heat factor is very high versus low then they can, shooting faster on the partial target definitely comes in effect on gaining points. Uh, It's really like, do I have to risk that to gain points on a more difficult side? Or if it's a big stage, I can choose, hey, that's actually lower risk and I can risk over there and not risk on the risker side in the same stage kind of thing. Balancing effect, so to say. So let me me ask you this. So in the, I think the Nationals, I've read a lot of your stuff and like mm-hmm. the, I think the nationals you're talking about where you got second, right? Where you mm-hmm. like by two tenths of a point or something. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so when you look at like 
I think I remember having maybe a conversation with you or Ben that it was, um, I was pushing at times I shouldn't have pushed or I thought I was at this level or whatever. Is that more of an understanding of where your standings are and then balancing your shooting on those stages against those standings? Or how important do you think it is for not necessarily you, but like let's say the average GM or M class shooter to really be aware of where you are in this in the field, or do you go mm-hmm. back to hey, shoot your game, shoot yes. what you know you can do, and be consistent, mm-hmm. and that that's what's going to make you successful. Okay, I have a super interesting answer. So you the, always do, sir. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, proceed. So the the match nationals you were referring to is the one in 2017, the very first carry optics nationals I shot actually. So I wasn't in the super squad, and of course I was shooting different stages, so I wasn't tracking my score against anybody. I didn't know others' score at all, and also the 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 goal, like I didn't care anything at that match except one thing, which was hyper focused. Uh, meaning hyper-focused in my visualization walkthrough process, like eyes wide open, like warrior mindset, uh, my brain, you know, firing up information fast kind of a mindset. That was all I cared about that match, which was resulting in better consistency at the point. So because that's the year I was working on visualization execution, that was the whole year focus. Interesting thing is the year after, uh, 2018, I also finished second, but the percentage was 97, I think. And then the year after, uh, I was sixth. I made huge mistake, and then past year was third. So if you see actually the points, it's going down and down and down, and then now it's rising back up. Last year was back in light rising. So if you actually look at it, when I shot, not caring about the score and only thinking about just hyper-focused shooting consistently, that was the best performance so far. And the following years is when I started shooting in the super squad, and now I'm trying to uh, experiment with pushing and backing up kind of thing. So I think mastering that strategy and actually just believing my technique, believing my strategy will just give me the win. Because so far, that's been like sticking with only my performance was the best performance ever at nationals score wise, too. You think that gauging your performance, like because now you're shooting in the super squad, mm-hmm. that that can be a detractor to what Maybe. you're trying to do oh, from yeah. your, your match planning? Because For, I, I think like, if you're if you're not shooting against them and you're shooting your game, but your your performance is increasing year by year because obviously you're putting in tons of work and you're doing, I mean shit, you're writing the training that everyone else is following. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're shooting your game and your performance is going up. That a better measure of it is like, hey, you does it does the super squad detract from? how you would have shot that match if you weren't shooting with the guys that were, you know, the top 11 or 12 that were possibly going to win. My results would have been very different in in my personal opinion. If I shot it just by myself versus first squad. Better better or worse? Results, I think, would have been a lot better. 
Yes, but it, it really depends on the person because uh, my mindset may be a little bit different. Uh, a lot of the people who has mindset of I don't really care about like developing stuff. Like I, I just want to shoot good and I'm, I just want to shoot consistent. Uh, they're probably their uh, match result is very steady, uh, whatever match they shoot. Uh, but for me, uh, I wanted to develop. So this is kind of weird to say, but I I want to beat certain people that's unbeatable so far. There's a couple so people. First off, there's no one mm -hmm. that's unbeatable. Oh, or hasn't been beaten. Yeah. I should say. Yes, hasn't been beaten. <laughs> so uh, if I just want to finish the match, uh, how I can just shoot my comfort level, all that, I think my result will be a lot better. But I am not doing that just for the learning purposes. Uh, so from, from 2017, I wanted to develop and get to the point where I am becoming one of the persons that's not going to be beatable. So I am developing using each year in yearly focus is now coming to almost an end, I really believe, because it started as a technique goals that really has to be there. And now it's a strategy part. And I really think what the strategy is what's deciding your result at the top level. So if you're just wanting to be a consistent shooter, I don't care about strategy. I just want to shoot at my whatever 90% or comfort zone shooting. Then I think their level will be very steady throughout the day, like SMP 500. But if I wanted to like really go hard and eventually become one of the person who's really not going to be able to beat easily, it's going to be going up and down, up and down, up and down, and becomes like Tesla, if that makes sense. <laughs> For the people yeah. who are stock traders, yes, this is making some sense. So I think Kwanzaa just said he wants to become one of the people that are unbeatable. Yeah. I think that's inevitable, yeah, I, in my opinion. I fucking hate to let you know, oh, but you shit. are one of those people now. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you're beat. quite good. Well, Kim, yeah, that's a wow. fascinating goal. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. All right. Guys, I want to talk about a range session I had a few days ago. Tell me so more. I'll tell you what I'll tell you what I did. I was doing rapid fire at indoor shooting, rapid fire at the at the 25 yard line on a USPSA target. Uh, and by rapid fire, I mean like quarter second splits, maybe a little bit faster depending on the gun, uh, maybe a little bit slower again depending on the gun. And I used um, production, a Tenfolio production gun. Tanfolio limited gun in 40 caliber and a carry optics Glock 34. So I used three different sets of equipment <coughs> just working on rapid fire at an indoor range, which all you guys know, shooting indoors sucks, right? Yeah. Like the lighting sucks. The lighting sucks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it's like, it's, it, it sucks shooting indoors. And what I was working on was, this is not going to surprise anybody that target focus shooting. And what, what I found with each, each set of equipment gave me a different challenge, but what I had to do was the same. I get the best outcome when I can get my vision out to the target at a particular spot in the center of it and avoid being distracted. When I'm shooting the dot, the dot would maybe be, if it's a little bit bright, then it, it sucks my eye onto the dot itself. And I start chasing the dot and I'm fucked. Okay. When I'm shooting my when I'm shooting the limited gun, that gun bounces a little bit more in recoil, so I I catch myself being impatient. 
like what like wanting the gun to come back down and boom my eye goes out to the fiber you know what i mean and as soon, again as soon as my eyes on the front side itself that i'm not returning it back down the way i need to and with the production gun the gun doesn't recoil that much but again i might find myself getting my eye sucked into the site or i i lose my focus on the spot in the center of the target and i'm just kind of see the shape or color of the target itself and I got the best results, of course, when I'm all the way target focused at a particular spot, irrespective of equipment. It didn't matter. Iron uh, sights, it doesn't fucking matter. Ben, let me ask you a question. So to to work on this, to like minimize the distractions, would you say shooting more rounds in the string was a good idea because it gave you longer to like, if for two shots it was okay to keep your vision there, but you get to six shots and it starts like wanting to suck your vision on the site. Is that fair to say or no? You know, it is. I mean, the, the, the more shots you're shooting or the more stuff you're doing. And then if you think if there's multiple targets next to each other, then you have to be sh shifting your vision from point to point, which is very hard to do. Now, Kim, you recently have now converted to target focus yes. shooting for iron sights. Yes. Right? And you're, you're not surprised by anything I'm saying, I'm sure. No, that's been what, I'm, what I've been doing too. Yeah. The target focus. <clears throat> so now, I don't really have... Yeah, go ahead. No, as you're as you're switching from equipment, right, and you're talking about shooting from production carry or you know minor power factor from production gun and your carry optics gun, which are going to recoil slightly different based off the the yeah. frame. But then with with shooting the limited gun, do you think that overcoming that is it is it more of a patience issue to overcome? the movement that you see in the sites or is it a fundamentals issue that you're compensating for that? No, I think it's, it, I think it is a patience thing says, because you know, 40 recoils more, of course. And then as you, as the up, up close, you shoot 40 faster because of the scoring advantage. But as soon yeah. as the targets are far enough away that um, the guns kind of rising and recoil off the target, then your big worry when shooting major is like getting the gun back down onto the target. You know what I mean? So I'm like, yeah. you have to like wait for that to come back. And with my limited gun, I caught myself again. I'd look at the, the, the fiber itself and then the gun would start to, I would return the fiber onto the Brown, but not onto a specific spot. So my hits would track up and uh, away to the, to the right. Whereas with the, the, the Glock with the dot, when I start, chasing the dot i would tense up my hand and push left you know what i mean and again i was yeah. shooting at a pace to challenge myself you know like to make it hard mm -hmm. but i mean in any case the solution was was visual it's like hey get your vision out there and just let the sight stuff happen in the background and it it, it was you know it's good it's good to continually reinforce that yeah. so were you I, were you oh go ahead kim okay when I first heard Ben shooting 100% target focus with the iron sight was actually months ago. And when I first heard, like, I was shooting red dot exclusively, so I do didn't understand what he's saying. Like, what? You you shoot the front sight focus on a far target. And he shot 50 yards target, target focus, and showed me the accuracy. So when uh, National was over, I brought my both guns. So it's the same gun, Q5 steel frame one with the optic, one with the uh, front sight. And then I literally like didn't understand what it is to shoot far target with target focus. Like, how do you do that? 
my default was, okay, look at this spot on the target, move focal depth back to the front side, see sharp front and the rear, and then shoot it. So what I did is I set up an accelerator drill, which is 5, 15, 25-yard uh, target. And then each target, I would just pick a spot on the target, zoom in 100%, so target focus, and then I would just bring my sight up to it and then see how blurry it is. And then I did that up to a 25-yard target. So I was just maintaining super sharp target spot and then see how blurry it is. And then I shot the accelerator drill looking for actually the blurry sites. I mean, of course, I'm looking for the spot on the target, but mm -hmm. the result on the site is blurry front, blurry rear every single time. And then uh, I have different you know, estimatism and stuff. So different di distances, it appears a little bit different blurriness. So I decided to shoot 35 yards, low ready. I shot five rounds. So I set up two target, one target guess shot, completely target focused, blurry front, blurry rear, but still I am aligning with the blurry, blurry sights. And then I shot next target with front side focus, sharp front rear, light bars, everything aligned. When I shot it, I had the same accuracy. And the time for target focus 35 yards, average around 0.8 seconds. And when I shoot front side focus, average around one second to 1.2 seconds. But this, the interesting thing is the standard deviation is so much greater when I shoot front side focused because there's so much information. When it's sharp, sharp corner sights, sharp rear sights, there's so much information I wanted to align even more and better. But accuracy was about the same on an open target. So that gave me, sometimes I shot one second, sometimes I shot 1.2, 1.3. But when I shot target focus, it was mostly consistently somewhere around 0.8 seconds from low ready. So accuracy same, time much better. Consistency, standard deviation much lower. Mathematically shooting for, uh, target focus with iron sights completely makes sense. No, I think that's, I think it's, it's undebatable. I mean, at that point, it's just like, Guys transitioning from ions to a red dot and guys that live inside that optic, you know, at longer targets and you see how much it's bouncing around. But if you shift your focus to a very hard point on that target, all of that wobble and that. I don't think that I think the wobble's still there, obviously, but how you get the confirmation is much, much faster. Yep. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so anyway, continually reinforcing that lesson. Never, it, mm -hmm. it's never going to stop. No, it's awesome. It's also Thanks. easier on you. Also, it's less work because you don't have to worry about shifting your focal depth back and forth. You're just like, oh, look at the spot. The sights show up there. Yeah, it's and, so, I, and I think you really do get you get a better sense of I would what is it called proprioception. You get a better sense of what's happening in three dimensional space with both of your eyes popped open. You know what I mean? Like you're. Your hands just do work better work for you to get the gun lined up subconsciously without you having to to work at it. Okay, yeah. uh, Mr. Matt, I think you had a All recent right, so, training session you'd like to tell us about. Yeah, the recent training session I did was kind of unique. Um, so my oldest boy came back from boot camp. Um, he has trained with me in a practical way for years and years. My 18-year-old and 16-year-old did. So we went out to the range. He wanted to go shoot while he was at home, and we did. Um, so I set up some standard stuff. I had to feed the gram initially, so I had to go <laughs> knock that out. And uh, we set up some targets, and kind of 
his takeaway from it, he was like, hey, uh, this shit's hard. It's like, no, this is, so I set up the training that, how my training has evolved, right? So there were no targets. There was no hoser targets. So, like, I think the closest target we shot was, um, initially was like 12 yards and everything was 17 to 22 yards and like a 30 yard piece of steel. Um, and then by kind of a little, what it took for me to help him a little bit of tweaking. Um, and then he was shooting in what I assess to be the exact same way he did with the same hits. You know, he, he shoots a lot of alphas. He shoots some, tar- some Charlies and some deltas like anyone does. But he really got into it to where, like, hey, we tightened up his visual stuff and got him looking to the right parts of the target and going one for one on the steel. And I saw that, like, for me, it was, it reinforced for me, like, how my training has evolved. Like, I don't spend a lot of time anymore shooting targets inside of 10 yards. Like, you you ingrain that in you, like, that kind of, you know, reactive or kind of predictive shooting and that kind of runs in the background the hoser stuff yeah it's fun to shoot for a while but you don't get a lot of training value out of it and we shot like i mean the three of us we shot like 1800 rounds that day and he had a great time and i saw like his performance kind of zip up to the top where he was shooting a lot of alphas and close charlies you know he'd have the occasional delta at the end of the day, he's going one for one on the steel, but just getting him more comfortable to a more difficult way of training kind of reinforced to me that, hey, the way that I've been training is good for me because he had such a quick uptake to it as really kind of a novice to intermediate shooter. Yeah. So by making it more demanding, he hops on the learning curve straight away. Yeah. Yeah. And there wasn't, there wasn't a lot. He understands the principles. You know, he understands how to line the sights up. He doesn't shoot target focus. He's very much on the front sight uh, and stuff like that outside of 10 yards. But by making it more difficult, you know, I hate to say it, but like he kind of like rise, rose to the occasion and understood what we were doing. And then kind of the demand of that session was you've got to get the same results you did when we were squirting bullets and having fun just playing gun games now we're actually training yeah uh yeah i would like to also suggest he did a lot better because he was shooting next to you so like if i'm training with ben ben comes to train with me i don't want to look like a chump and if ben's throwing down these good luck you're you're shooting like a what did you it was like an 18 (laughs) hit factor or something on accelerator something stupid (laughs) and then he was like doing like back to back he's like hitting these crazy i'm like holy crap like all right well i gotta try to get after it now too like, I can't just keep shooting these, I mean, low fives. This isn't really, a, a, you know, acceptable for Accelerate anymore. Now I need to keep pushing because Ben's doing this. And, like, training alongside you is a really good thing, too. Training with somebody sharper, um, I think, is really, really now, good. I'm a big believer in that. Like, I'll try to come out to Ben and and shoot with him, you know, when he's available or whatever. And I still want to shoot with you, Juanza. Like, that's got to yes. happen. Yeah, you, if you if you get back and hey Matt, I, I hate to put you on the spot on the air here, but if you're back in time for Summit in May, um, I possibly text him the dates earlier today, telling him we'd love to have him if he was available. Yeah, yeah. So I I think that's going to be uh, both fun and informative. Dude, oh, dude, I yeah, trust me, I want to bend over backwards to make May work. I mean, I'm a I'm a slave to my work schedule, so um, yeah. But 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 I, but I do believe in like 
for for so many people, like we talk about this stuff and you see like Instagram and, and fucking social media, in my opinion, is destroying shooting like one video at a time. Most of those guys, most yeah. of those guys don't shoot like that in real life, right? A lot of them do. A lot of them do. But um, when you see like something that you you've read and you you if you're into measuring training, you hear like, hey, this is a good draw. These are good splits. This is a good exercise. This is a good time for this exercise. And then you see it in real life. It instantly becomes possible. Yeah. Well, you hear the cadence. You uh -huh. see it, and now you can duplicate it. I will also say this. A lot of times, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm training people all the time, whatever. People are hitting me up like private lesson, private lesson, private lesson, which I do on a case. I mean, it happens, but there's something to be said for you have a, a class environment where you have like a, a bunch of people that you don't necessarily know and you're yeah. on a line shooting next to them. And in, instead of just measuring yourself against, I mean, against no one or just, it's just me and one person where they just in their mind, like, oh, I'm not going to do that stuff. I'm just going to try to be at my level. When you have a bunch of people in a group, you don't necessarily know all of them. It does kind of elevate everyone. Just that natural, like, you know, you know, yeah. you're being watched, you know, you're being assessed and you're going to push a little bit harder. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah it be, you're going to push harder because you see it's possible. Yeah. Right. Like, and you see the guy you, next to you is doing it. And the guy on the other side, he's doing it. You're like, well, I better do it too, or I'm a I'm a chump. So yeah, you think about like the X Games mentality, right? No one in bicycle, no one could do a backflip on a bicycle till someone did it. <laughs> now it's two backflips. Now it's two backflips on a motorcycle. Once it becomes possible, it becomes real, and everyone starts working to it. And that's why I love the practical shooting world. It's like we're not even like dealing with like, hey, this is this is good enough. You're yeah. pushing the limits on everything, and it's super interesting. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Kim, remember right. at Summit last year, we were on Andreas's class. It was you, me, and Steve yes. Newell. Oh, that was really fun. Yeah, so we're up, to this, we're up to this drill. Yeah, and of course, Kim knocks it out of the park. I'm like, well, I can do that, of course. So then I'm going crazy, and then Steve Newell, he's like, well, I can do that too. And he's going crazy, and like before you know it, we're all just like, what was the time? What was the time? What was the time? And then we're all, yeah, we're... Like everybody's pushing. And then the other people in the class, I, I mean, you know, whatever skill level they're at, they're all like, oh, I want to do that too. So like everyone, before you know it, by the end, the whole class is like going nuts on this drill and everyone's getting better because like they see somebody, do I see Kim? I'm going to do that. Like, I'm not going to let Kim make me look dumb in front of all these people. And then Steve's like, well, I can do that too. And then everyone in the class just chimes in. So it just makes everybody better for sure. Yeah. And that teaches the mindset. Like, you know, you get like adrenaline pump and all that stuff. And if you if you are really feeling lazy in your practice, you need to get that mindset back on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I agree. All, all right, guys, let's move on to our question. And I think I, it will be interesting to put some of this to you, Matt. Uh, okay, hey guys, I enjoy your podcast, Ben. I agree a lot on your take of USPSA. I don't like Foley. He wants to have every gun under USPSA. The board of directors changes the rules too often. Many times with stupid reasoning. I don't like Troy McManus. <laughs> I laugh at his excuse for DQs. All right, well, let's move along here. Like, <laughs> anyway, um, what's up with production division? When I started, production was buy a stock gun and compete. And this guy's indicating here in his email he's been shooting for 12 years. 
It, just to give some color to that. Uh, production was buy stock, gun, and complete. Now it's like tricked out production class. I even wrote to these guys about what they're doing and no, no response. It seems like USPSA is listening to manufacturer dollars. There are so many issues now. How can USPSA get back to what it's supposed to be? So listening to this, um, first thing, I guess, let's let's assess the, the claim. Uh, and I'm really curious your take, Matt, because you got interested in USPSA because of the practicality element, right? Yeah. Is yep. there, I mean, how do you feel about the, the gear side of that or the gear rules or what would you like to see just out of curiosity? So I think I ran the gamut of that. Like uh, initially when I first came across you and that I thought, you know, it's the gun, I can do this or that or whatever it, the guns don't matter in production division. It I I shoot a very stock Glock 17 in production division and I do just fine. And I don't think that my equipment is limiting me. And if you're chasing equipment, my initial thing is like you're training incorrectly. Right? I don't care. I've I've done, you know, when I was Trying to make, G I won plenty of matches high overall from production with a shitty ass Glock 34, right? And now I'm shooting a Gen 5 Glock 17, and I think the only thing I have to, I have, a, I got a different trigger trigger spring in it, right? It's yeah. still a four pound trigger. It comes down to skills and execution, right? How well can you? Because no one's really doing this any faster than anyone else. Now there's yeah. some outliers that are some freaks in nature, the Jerry Micklicks, like you can pull the trigger really fast, right? But you're not winning matches based off split. Yeah, I, I think the uh, the equipment thing is marginal, right? Like 95% of this is not equipment. Do you get an advantage with equipment? Yes. Do I agree with this guy that it was take it out of the box and shoot at stock, you know, 12 yeah. or 15 years ago? No, that wasn't, the, that, that it was never like that. Um, no. Now, would I have a problem with us uh, if, if we're all shooting very stock Glock 17s in production division? Fuck no. I would love that. I, I would be all about that. I mean, I, I think that'd be that'd be fun. And it'd be like, you know, maybe more interesting to people like to the, to the so max I, of the world. I'll tell you, 15 years ago, like um, a place I worked, we had Rob Latham come in and he brought his production gun and we got to shoot it. And it was like what the fuck is this thing? He's like, that's my production. There's nothing production about this gun. I had never seen an XDM with a sub two pound trigger. Like it was amazing, but was it, it was comfortable to him. And if your equipment is comfortable to you, regardless of the platform, whatever the weapon, the gun is, you're going to be successful with it. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. It, it comes down to execution of fundamentals. Well, yeah, I, I will say this. The equipment is like, like there's some, like it's, it's marginal. Like, can you like right now say, can you win nationals with a Glock set, a stock Glock 17? No. Oh. I, well, I would say there's too many guys would, that are too good. I would say, can Matt Pranka win nationals with a Glock 17? No, I couldn't. I'll tell you flat out. I couldn't do it. I shoot my Glocks really well, really well. But with the stock one, I mean, I mean, yeah, I could, I could 
trigger and stuff and compete with a Glock 17. But if it's bone stock, no, I'm not going to win. I'll, I'll shoot 92% or 93%. I'll put up, a, I'll, it'll, be, it'll be good, but it ain't going to get it done. That's yeah, just the best reality as I see it. I get it with a bone stock gun, but even when production division was created, it was never a bone stock gun. It was gun. never was, a bone stock gun. Yeah. There were internal things that you could do, right? And I'm not saying that a Glock is not a limiting factor in that division. There are plenty of guys based off skill that finish very high up in national standings shooting polymer guns. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's absolutely. not that. It comes down to if the gun fits your hand and it's good, you do, you operate within the rules. Now I get it. The rules are, are changing to where now external modification, but I don't care where you stipple the gun, you undercut the trigger guard. You're not getting a massive advantage at that. In my opinion, you're not in, in the aggregate you do, but just like, do I think stippling the gun matters? Nah. But when you can undercut the trigger guard, stipple the gun, work the trigger, change the sights, and do all this different shit, yeah, then that starts. Yeah, that matters. Each individual piece, not a big deal. Taken as a package, yeah, you're going to get an yeah. you get an advantage, slight. Yeah, so maybe like I maybe said, slight. For purest purest production guys, hey, you want to get back to uh, you know what's real, but but at the end of the day, like I get it. There's been you know, forgiveness is an allocation to allow. Like, like I think that there's a lot of guns that are production legal that are basically minor power factor limited guns. Absolutely. I shoot one of them. Me too. But it's, but it's not going to, it's not the, I think if I go and train with you guys, it, the gun is not the limiting factor. The work that we're all able to put in given different times and, situations right because there's times when you know probably ben you can't train the way you want to and there's times where based off i live the weather is that that our difference in performance i get a little bit closer to you yeah that's just the way it works you know and yeah it's not the equipment man i think you're i think you're looking you're looking for excuses that in my opinion just aren't there just throwing it out there Glock 17 pretty much bone stock Glock 17 has won a ipsc war championship in production 2011 i don't give a fuck and no it was not stock and that was that's a decade ago that's but not gonna happen again minimum of five pounds paul at the time i understand it was not a stock glock okay and this was more than a decade ago the mm -hmm. past is the past we have a way more robust field now that's yeah. true and i also think too like you can't measure performance of you know the way that guys were training in in you said 2011 is not the way that they're training in 2020. No, things have totally changed now. It's yes. different. And the, the, the focus on training and then guys that get on board with it, that understand practical shooting, that understand the way to train, you know, if you understanding it is one, one part of the problem. Now put in the work and be consistent with it and understand how, what you're working towards, and then measure your performance correctly and, and push yourself, that's what's going to make the difference. Are you going to win nationals with a Glock 17? I mean, a no, a, you could, could you win nationals with a Glock 17? Yes. A bone yes. stock Glock 17? No. I doubt it. I don't think no. so. Nice trigger job. You get the gun comfortable to you within the rules. 
yeah, it, the gun's not the limiting factor. Now, they, they completely change how the national, national match structure goes and targets become more difficult in farther distances. Yes, you're going to need a more accurized gun. But uh, the inherent accuracy of the gun is not the limiting factor. It's the ability of the guy to control the gun, in my opinion. Yeah. All right. Well, with that, I think it's, uh, I think it's time to end. Uh, we do have one announcement to make. Uh, if you'd like to take a class with Mr. with me and Mr. Wancic, or just me, uh, it, we're going to be in Dallas. Uh, February 2021 is the class with Kim and I. We got some people signed up for that at Mission 160 range. For the days preceding that, I'll be putting on skills and drills courses again at that same range. If you want to register, go to bensticker.com, click on take a class, scroll down and to the calendar, and you'll see the registration link if you are interested. And if not, that is cool, too. Joel, you have uh, something coming up, something coming out soon, right? Uh, I do. Group? I do. Uh, training Tell group people live, about it. Training group live podcast is coming. Uh, you guys have all been on it. We're quite excited. We already have a couple episodes queued up. Um, still finalizing a little bit with the website for how we're going to deploy it to training group members. But that will be coming, and uh, I think it'll be quite good. So one thing that's different from this podcast is a little bit of a deep dive into subject. So I've already had all three of these goons on uh, with Kim. We talked really deep about confirmation and really getting into the weeds with really actionable stuff, which I liked. Uh, Matt, we talked about training with a carbine and handgun and how those relate. So, uh, and then Ben's always saying smart stuff also. But anyway, uh, a deep dive and hopefully a lot of actionable things to take to your training. So anyway, uh, that will be coming soon for training group members. And well, if you're not a training group member, uh, you can still listen to the first part. You just won't get all the cool stuff. Yeah. What about, unfortunately. What, didn't you come up with a slogan like, if you're not a training group member, then fuck you. That is <laughs> absolutely not what I said. That then. is absolutely not what you said. That well, is I think it was something <laughs> along the line of, we would love to earn your business, I think was more, more like oh, what yeah. I said. That sounds more reasonable. <laughs> <laughs> all right. If you have a question for this podcast, go to bensteger.com. Send me your questions. We'd love to talk about it. There we go.